What if your life was a dance? What if you could learn to perform it with grace and power? My name is Tudor Alexander, and I want to be your partner as we choreograph the dance of life. Join me as we share in some of the most meaningful life lessons and strategies that I've discovered in my career as a professional athlete. Together, we'll learn to navigate life's changes and dance to whatever the music is playing. Take my hand, put your shoes on, and let's get on the floor. It's time to dance the dance of life. Today, my guest is a comedian, podcaster, and co-founder of Buzzed Broadcasting, Stephen Dombrowski. What's up, Steve? Hey, Tenor. It's uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, I'm excited, man. So what do you do for a living? You want to let them know? Uh, just my day-to-day life. I'm generally a mailman, which is uh, pretty nice, but I'm slowly but surely making the transition into being a comedian and a, uh, a podcaster. That's awesome, dude. You know, it's funny because I, I've been wanting to get into comedy with my best buddy for a while. Like, we, we always go back and forth and, I mean, we think we're funny, but <laughs> we wanted to, like, really try and get on the stage at some point, you know, and, and create a little skit. So, how has that been for you? I mean, uh, have you, have you been doing it for a while as far as trying to do improv nights or going up on the mic? Like, what's that life like? I've been going up and doing, uh, open mics, which is, uh, works in a bunch of various different ways. You know, you can show up and just sign up and get on stage. Some of them you have to go through like online. Some you have to like, you know, give out video clips or something like that of what mm-hmm. you've done and be selected to go up and that kind of thing. And then, uh, you just, it, it's actually much easier to get into than you think it is because mm-hmm. most comedians, like even high level ones have a general tendency to still like do open mics and do stuff, uh, by virtue of the art form. Cause what happens is, uh, it's very, very hard to write something by yourself that you know, everyone's going to laugh at. Right. It's like, uh, have you ever tried to watch a comedy just alone by yourself in a room? <laughs> right. It's, it you aren't generally work. laughing or anything when it's just you by yourself. So right. it, it's a lot of, uh, well, I think this will work and let's go try it out. So you can see even like really good people just crashing and burning. Interesting. On like local shows and things like that. It's really fun. Yeah. There's so many, gosh, you know, humor is such a, an interesting thing to me because there's definitely a science to it. I mean, how you deliver a particular joke you know, the social interactions, how other people react, what's the crowd. I mean, there's so many factors to landing a a, a funny joke. I mean, we think it's just that there's this funniness to it, but I, I see a lot of comedians who are successful. They're very clever. They're very intelligent. It's very, you know, planned out to some extent. How would you, yeah. how would you relate to that? I mean, are you more of a, all right, I'm just going to go up there and, and wing it, or are you kind of, are you very structured about your approach? There's a, fortunately where I live up in, uh, you know, the Seattle area is, uh, there's a couple mics that are specifically for just improv and for winging it. There's, uh, one that, uh, basically how it's structured is you go up and the host is also on stage with the microphone mm-hmm. and you aren't allowed to do anything that you've pre-written and you have to interact with the crowd and interact with him wow. and make up stuff on the spot <laughs> and go up like that. And then there's, uh, Another one that is uh, everybody who enters it has to write down like suggestions and concepts and things like that. And there's a projector behind you. And when you're on stage, whatever is projected on the projector, that's the subject you have. And you have to try and make jokes off of that. 
Uh, and you know what it is. Like you get to see the subject or like, uh, if you're on stage, you can turn around oh, okay. and see it's like whales. It's like, okay, well now I have to, I thought you had to guess whales. it or something <laughs> through your jokes. Uh, and then, uh, other than that, I generally have a lot of stuff written out. I try and throw in some new things every time I'm on stage. And then, uh, you know, some older jokes that are better received that I know have a tendency to go well, regardless of the crowd, that kind of thing. What was your biggest show that you've done with comedy? Like your biggest, biggest one so far where you felt like, man, okay, like this one's, you know, a step up from everything else I've been doing. It's a, there, there's a really nice thing. Uh, Tacoma Comedy Club has a, a new faces night where you go up and there's like 20 people and each person gets about four minutes, you know, and it's usually on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. And uh, it's one of those you sign up a month in advance and so you have time to prepare. They tell you what night you're going to be up and Mm -hmm. what you're going to do and what spot you are in the lineup and that kind of thing. And I mean, I got to do that for uh, a crowd of, you know, 150 people or so, which was really nice. That's incredible, man. I mean, so what what is your drive for being a comedian I mean, what what made you want to how long have you been doing this uh, about two years two and a half years now okay something like that cool so what made you decide to jump in the world of comedy well i've been a really big fan of comedy just most of my life generally speaking uh like i was also a really big fan of talk radio growing up which is something that like most you know like junior high kids and stuff aren't into and i ended up uh really gravitating towards there was an old radio station called the buzz that was all talk radio all day. And I would just listen to that every day. And then I listened to a lot of like stand up comedian specials and I had them on CD and uh, things like that and DVD. And I'd always listen to it and be like, Oh, that seems really great. <laughs> and uh, a couple of years ago, one of my friends had gotten into it and he was like, Steven, you need to come and you need to do this. And I was like, why? He's like, cause you're funny. I'm like, okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, that's fine, but it's different being funny in a group than it is standing on stage alone right. and monologuing to a group of people. And he was like, just trust me, just show up to one of the local ones. I'll come with you and go up. It'll be fine. And I was like, okay. So I, I had no idea that like the, the entry level for comedy is such a short period of time when you're on stage. Hmm. And so I spent about three months writing like, like half an hour's worth of material that I was going <laughs> to go up and do. And they're like, you have five minutes. And I went, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. Wow. How did it go well. that first time? It, it went pretty well the first time. I, uh, I told a joke that, uh, I mean, it's not super great, but I really enjoy it. It's basically, uh, w- without going into the whole thing, it's, um, I don't understand why there's a braille on drive through ATMs because I don't think blind people should be driving in the first place. <laughs> That's true, actually. It, there is Braille on drive through ATMs, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those weird things that I saw. And then um, the first time I told it, uh, there was actually a blind dude in the audience. Oh. And it was my first night up. And uh, he, like, stood up and he just, like, started kind of yelling. And I was like, oh, man, this, is, this isn't <laughs> cool. And he, like, stormed out and he got in his car. And then he, like, drove a hole through the side of the building. <laughs> That's a good one. I like but, that. No, it's a, yeah. Uh, that, that was like basically my first joke was going into that. And there really was a blind dude that first night that I was up. Did, that he, heard that. did he get and upset? He like bought me a beer afterwards. Oh. <laughs> he was like, that was really great. I'm so like, 
people are afraid to like talk, you know, make fun of us or anything like that. Like we aren't people. And I was like, oh, that's good. See, that's interesting because you have somebody who reacted to humor about them in, in a positive way in the sense like, hey, like we deserve to be made fun of too. Whereas other people would react maybe in another way. It's like, oh, pff, how dare you, you know, make fun of the blind or something like that. So it's, yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. Ever since then, when I tell that joke and there aren't blind people in the audience, I get a lot of silence. And uh, that's when I ended the, uh, I ended up adding the section of like, well, then he drove through the side of the building. And that usually <laughs> ends up getting, you know, people who were uncomfortable or uh, uh, having a problem with it into it now they're they're a lot more willing to laugh about it because clearly that's preposterous and you know it, it's not so much it's a bit of a misdirect because you aren't so focused on like oh why is this guy making fun of blind people <laughs> right you're yeah. more focused on the absurdity of the situation and what i'm actually trying to convey with it what's your favorite part of the process of of being a comedian i mean you you kind of got into it through a recommendation from your friend. You wanted to explore it. You were interested, obviously, in some comedy and, and talk shows and kind of that whole genre. But now that you have been doing this for, you know, two years, two plus years, what's mm. your favorite part of the process? I mean, what what gets you high about it, I guess? Um, it's really the uh, – I, I really enjoy writing and writing the, the comedy bits and things like that. It's a, a very therapeutic process, mm. actually. Because, uh, most comedy tends to come from like some form of like, uh, pain or confusion or anger or something like that. And, uh, the ability to like laugh at something that can hurt you kind of gives you some strength mm. to go through and to move through. And so the writing's a really therapeutic process. Uh, when I go th- through like writing and I'm like, oh, this joke's great. And I get on stage and there's like nobody that can relate to it and no one's laughing at it. <laughs> and it's a bit of like, okay. Now the real work begins. I got to start workshopping this. I got to change my word choice or my timing or how I'm coming across, maybe a facial expression that I'm using while I'm on stage in order to, to really sell this to make people, you know, come on the journey with me. Cause a lot of it uh, kind of breaks down to getting a group of people to come on this journey with you and to mm. basically have them think the way that you think so that they can laugh at the things that you laugh at. And it's, uh, it's a lot of, uh, work on that end but the the best part of it is when you're on stage and you have the whole room laughing and everybody's enjoying it and it's great you know it's i'm also a pretty big fan of hecklers but that doesn't (laughs) happen very often at my level well it it does when you're in a bar that's just a hot room on a tuesday night and oh yeah you'll find plenty of them yeah yeah and i i'm a big fan of doing battle with people uh i if you listen to any of my podcasts, it's just chaos and us end up like screaming at each other over something and trying to make jokes on the fly and things like that. It's, I, I really like the verbal combat aspect of it. It's super fun for me. Yeah. The back and forth, it's, it's kind of invigorating in a way. Well, yeah, what, yeah. what does your family and friends think about you wanting to be a comedian? I mean, comedy is is one of those things that's it's really like an artist essentially it's one of those things where you're really taking a risk with your life and and future yeah. so what how has that action been received have well, they been um, supportive i was when i was in uh all throughout school and that my dad always wanted me to be a musician mm. and so like i mean i ended up taking drum lessons for like 18 years oh wow and stuff like that yeah i'm, I'm actually pretty good at drums but uh 
the thing is, so when I was like, ah, I mean, I don't really want to do music anymore. They're like, well, you have a job and you support yourself. So who cares? You know, just do whatever you want to do with your life. Hmm. And if you hit the point where like whatever art that you're working on at the time, whether it's comedy or music or whatever, uh, supersedes like your income or can come close to matching it, then I mean, really go for it at that point. And that's, it's not an advisable way to go about things because being comfortable doesn't really force you to push yourself in any way, shape or form. Right. It really uh, incentivizes you to maybe not go out like four or five times a week. It incentivizes you to sit at home and be like, okay, well, I mean, I already worked today. I don't have to go to my other job and stand on stage and risk being booed and yelled mm, at. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, everybody was pretty fine with it. They just, uh, I mean, my dad was disappointed because he was like, yeah, but you're supposed to be a drummer in a band. And I'm like, not really. Not at all, sir. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, you had kind of almost like a a warming up to it in the sense that your parents were already okay with you, you know, being artistic and, and kind of pursuing those things. So, it, to some degree, you know, it wasn't like a huge stretch you know, for them to hear that maybe you want to pursue an art form. Whereas let's say if they wanted you to be like a doctor or lawyer or some, you know, strict, like, okay, you know, go out there, make the bread. And then you wanted to basically do something very different from that. Maybe the reaction might've been different. So I always like to hear people's, you know, reactions with their loved ones, especially because that thing, that's a big part of our journey into entrepreneurship, into chasing what we you know, what we want to do with our lives. So, yeah, yeah. It's, um, and I mean, I, I've, I've been kind of a wild guy for several years. I know that doesn't sound like it from this, but that's cause I, you know, I'm on your podcast and I have to be, <laughs> you got to behave I'm yourself. Constantly. Wait, how old are you? What? Uh, 31, 31. Okay. How old are you? I'm 34. Actually, I'll be 34. And well, by the time this episode airs, I would already have turned 34, but my birthday's in October. Oh, okay. Uh, the, well, yeah, but you're a ballroom instructor, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I do. How'd you come across that? How'd your parents take that going forward? Cause that's a very, uh, you have to start your own business and be very self-motivated, I would think. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. And I mean, pretty much when I started teaching hardcore, I, I had my own business for a year and then I moved into working for a studio for almost seven years up until actually may of uh this year 2018 and then i you know i'm on my own now so throughout the time that i was working for a studio i mean i i still had to hustle because you know i had to know how to create relationships retain them i was pretty much 100 percent responsible for you know for those students but uh you know when you're on your totally on your own it's you're right it is definitely you can't be comfortable you have to be hustling constantly and going out to every opportunity and it's in some extent it's also very fun because now I don't have anybody limiting what I can do and any any person that I talk to I can create something with them if if there's something to create you know whereas when you're working for somebody else there's always the consideration of you know of that particular situation so um yeah I mean I do that for a living I teach workshops group classes private you know private lessons um, so it's, it's, did you ever compete in dance? Yeah, I compete professionally. I have a partner and we compete. Uh, ballroom to, or yeah, ballroom dancing. a specific style you go for? Yep. Ballroom dancing. We do that, uh, 
Well, we'll see now. I mean, I'd like to get back on the floor a lot more. We've been slacking this year. Usually, I like to go about once a month at least to a competition, but it's been a little yeah. a little different with all these transitions. But, you know, making... I, uh, I'm asking because uh, my youngest brother, who just turned 18, he just graduated this year. He's very into dance, and he's part of his uh, dance school's like competition team and stuff like that, oh, cool. where he has taken hip-hop and tap and uh, ballet and... I, I don't remember what else. He's been doing it since he was like five. Wow. It's probably really yeah. good. I mean, it seems good to me. I'm not an expert. That <laughs> <laughs> no, seems good, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun, man. You know, I think any time when we pursue our art, something that's really close to our heart, uh, that's what life is about. And that's what this interview is about, the show. Uh, I think life is really short and you don't have time to waste. You have to take action. life's a lot longer than most people think it is. Yeah, I, I think it's both. You know, I think it's long, and then suddenly it's not. You know. Well, I mean, yeah, that's um. There's a because I, I I read a lot uh, by virtue of my my job of being a mailman. I get to just grab a bunch of audiobooks and listen <laughs> for just hours and hours a day, and I listen to a bunch of podcasts and that obviously. And uh, I got through a Gene Parrott's uh, book, which Gene Parrott. I, I'm sure you're unfamiliar. He's uh, he was a right like a ghostwriter for like Bob Hope and Johnny Carson and oh, okay. like B. Arthur and stuff like that. Uh, a very very prolific uh, comedy writer and things like that. And he has a lot of books on like comedy writing. And I thought I was getting one of those, but I ended up getting his uh, self help book. Oh, cool! And one of the things that uh, he he talks about, one of the things he says that just stuck in my mind in there that I absolutely loved was. Uh, I'm always told that I should make goals, long-term goals and short-term goals, but th that never made much sense to me because just having a goal isn't necessarily uh, like like a good thing. And what he basically breaks it down to is uh, he says, my short-term goal is to take a nap and my long-term goal is to wake up from it. <laughs> and I think that that's a, a really uh, good example and a, an intelligent way to put like the the brevity and the longevity of life is like, well, I mean, short term, I want to do this one thing today, which is easily attainable. But long term, I mean, it might not be a long term. I might not wake up from this nap and that's completely out of my control. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a constant balance we have to strike between being present in the moment and letting go of, of the controlling nature of the mind. And at the same time, you know, creating a vision for your life and, and where you where you do see yourself so that your actions at some point bring you to that present moment in the future with what you want. So actually, yeah. that's my next question for you is what is the future? <laughs> I'm glad we led into it. What does the future look like for you? I mean, are you going the, uh, at this kind of like that, like one step at a time? Or do you kind of have a desire or end goal at this point or vision for yourself of where this will lead? I um I'm a bit of a cynic, which uh I just I, I listened to your most recent episode and I know that uh you have a general tendency to uh disagree with like a cynic outlook on life and that kind of thing. In uh, what way? Uh well because you you were saying that it's a very limiting uh way of living your life that that it tends to close you off from possibilities and things like that. Um yeah, I mean it can. Depends if you're cynical about the possibility of something if if that's how you're being cynical i mean there's a lot of different ways to be cynical i guess <laughs> yeah because well, generally i have a tendency to go from uh 
Wow, I was just getting ready to be like, well, my life philosophy is... Yeah, go for it. <laughs> That's fine. to do with the question at all. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I generally feel like cynicism is a very good uh, barrier for entry of ideas. Hmm. I think that it's uh, much... N- not to be closed off from ideas, but to go, well, what's the most likely case here? And then uh, if you're actually being cynical, you should also be cynical of yourself and your own concepts and, and shortcomings. Like uh, one of my uh, my favorite off- authors, uh, David Foster Wallace, he has this, um, he gave a commencement speech in 2005. It's called This is Water. Uh, you can find it on YouTube of him saying it. it takes about 20 minutes or it's like, I think like 10, 15 pages if you find it online. But uh, he opens it by saying, um, Two young fish are swimming down a stream and an older fish passes them and he goes, morning boys, how's the water? And the two fish swim on for a little bit. And one of them looks at the other one and goes, well, what the hell is water? And uh, he uses that as, as a way to point out that uh, everybody has this grasp of what the totally obvious is. And you have to look beyond what the totally obvious is. And I think that that's part of a, the cynicism in itself. He talks about like if you're stuck in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you're very angry with the person that cuts you off and there's like this big like uh, SUV, like a Humvee sitting next to you that's just guzzling all the fuel and you'll start to spiral down between how like modern consumerist society sucks. There's too many people. We're overpopulating the earth. We're killing the earth with all of this uh, gas guzzling monstrosities. We're also impatient and hateful. We're cutting each other off. And he's like, and that is a very clear cut path to looking at stuff. But if you look a little deeper, and to me, that's where the self cynicism comes in is going like, why am I thinking this? What else could it be? And he points out like, what if the guy that cuts you off has a kid that's hurt or sick in the passenger seat? And actually you're the one that's in their way. Right. This is something that you need to learn to consider. And, uh, the, you know, the person in the giant Humvee, like maybe they were in a horrible accident before. And at this point in their life, their therapist has all but ordered them to have something so huge and monstrous so that they can feel safe as they're going to and from work and in their daily life to, to help themselves out. And so that's uh, that has a tendency to be where uh, I lead my mind when I'm thinking of things and, and when I'm working through things. And to get back to your question of like, where do I think I'm going to go? Uh, and where I'm going at with comedy is I, I can see a path towards uh, become, getting more acclaim or towards uh, getting better shows or doing more things and, and it's more work. But the way that I have a tendency to look at it is with the cynic perspective of, well, none of that will probably happen for me. Let me focus on what I can do right now. What can I do today? Today I can go out and do a mic tonight. Okay, well, that's one step towards where I'm going to go. I'm going to build the journey each day that I move through it. If any of that made sense, that was a bit of a rant. No, I I agree with you. I think, I think we have to make a distinction between, because words are always very tricky. I think cynicism and skepticism and realism, those two or three rather are all, you know, different things. I think what you pointed to is exactly what I agree with, which is, uh, you know, you have to have a, a healthy habit of questioning you know, question, second questioning yourself, second questioning your emotions. You know, that's a healthy level of questioning that I think everybody should have. I think what I meant anytime I would talk about cynicism in my in my previous episodes is that 
is that level of resignation that somebody gets to where every you know they're not a they're not a space for creating anything a lot of the stuff they talk about is being able to create stuff and you know when yeah. when you are let's say you're with a buddy and you guys are talking about something and everything that you bring to the table there's a problem with it or there's an issue uh to some extent you know that level of you know perceiving the world in every part of your life that can become it's a balance i mean you have to question you have to see reality but like anything if you're too open-minded and too, oh my gosh, this will be great too, then yeah, that's a problem too. So you got to balance the uh, the ability of the mind to question and find problems with it being also open to possibility. So uh, I, I agree with you. You know, I think that's cool. With your vision, I'm, I'm curious because this is something that kind of is interesting to me because, so one thing I maybe we can get clarity on, like, when you look at your career, let's say in comedy, okay, so part of you is like, okay, you know, probably this is never going to happen, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to take the action today. I'm still going to take the action, what I need to do today, what can I do right now? It's interesting to me, like, what what is that experience like for you? Because, for example, how I would relate to it, like, if I'm trying to think of a, a part in my own life where I have a, a far-off goal and it's hard for me to think of it like, well, this is not going to happen, but I'm still going to take the action today. I'm trying to find a specific example in my in my own life because generally speaking, I tend to relate to it opposite. I tend to relate like, okay, well, you know, whether You're this happens. Uh, of course, this will happen at one point. Well, I don't even know if I'm that. I don't even know if I'm, of course, it'll happen. It's just like, okay, I'm going to shoot for this. I'm I'm okay if whatever it doesn't happen, but in general, I guess I tend to lean more towards I'm gonna try to make this happen, and then also be grounded in the present day of like, okay, well, what do I need to do for this to actually happen? So I'm curious how that works, you know, for you. Can you expand on that idea that you can set, you know, set that future that way? I can do my best here. Uh, I can go out and say, you know, I'm probably never going to be a famous comedian. That's something that is uh, generally uh, unattainable. It's something that uh, very, very few people can ever achieve. Right. Ever. Uh, even if you look at, like, the history of the world. I mean, famous comedian wasn't even a job until, like, maybe the late 60s. That, that it's a very relatively new art form and things like that. And you can probably count on two hands all the comedians that you can think of, which would be the, the top. And so I can look at that and go, I'm probably never going to attain that. But th- that doesn't so much concern me. That doesn't matter. What is it that you want to attain, though? There's got to be something. Because to me, when you when you have something you want, we generally don't actually relate to things in a negative way, in the sense like of, I let's say I want not pain. You know, we yeah. we we structure it that way linguistically in our mind, but really what we're saying is I want comfort or you know relief. So in this case, like yeah, you you in your mind you say, well, I'm probably not going to become a super famous comedian. Okay, that's reasonable, you know, mm-hmm. to to think. But what is it that you? What is the positive statement in your mind? Like, what is it that you want? Like, do you, I am I making doing this? that you enjoy doing this? And what outcome do you want with it exactly? Like, I know that, you know, saying being famous is probably not going to happen, but is there something in your mind that is likely to happen? Whether that particular thing is maybe in two months from now, like, I would like to, 
you know, like you said, get bigger shows or I want to be maybe, you know, a regular performer in my state at X, Y, and Z, you know, is there something mm-hmm. uh, affirmative that you are projecting beyond I, the, the, you know, the thing that you said? I, I have a tendency to not uh, project too far in the future. I, I spend far too much time day to day. And so mm-hmm. if you're looking for like a positive affirmation or something like that is, um, I actually, I just get enjoyment from being on stage. So my yeah. positive affirmation is knowing, well, once I get off stage, I'm going to have really enjoyed my time when I was on there tonight. Cool. And, uh, it's, yeah, I'm a bit of a pessimist, just generally speaking. <laughs> and so I like, uh, more or less my mentality when I go on stage at this point isn't, oh boy, I get to make these people laugh. It's, well, they aren't going to like it anyway, so now I have the freedom to really do whatever I want. Hmm. And uh, a byproduct of my own, uh, I suppose, selfish uh, personal enjoyment and freedom that I allow myself through uh, cutting off the avenues of success is, well, I get to do truly whatever I want at this point, Yeah, which is something that uh, if I was purposefully trying to please the crowd, well, now I live or die on their approval. Right. Seems a bit counterproductive given that the the whole point of it is to make other people laugh. But I find that it's much easier for me to uh, find people that enjoy me for uh, my particular style, my word choice, the way that I act, the way that I do by cutting off the, the valve, so to speak, of like, well, there's no way this is going to happen, which allows me to have a greater freedom in whatever I choose to do at that time, if mm. that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, I, I again, I can relate to it 100% because in, let's say I'll use my particular field of competing in ballroom dancing, which is extremely subjective. Yes. It's, I, one of my all-time dreams would be to make the national open professional final to be doing a, a show at the national final, that kind of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to happen or not. Do I know what I need to do to do it? Yes. Whether it will happen or not, I'm not sure. So mm-hmm. it allows me to kind of approach every competition I go to and, and detach from the outcome, you know. So I think that's that's something we constantly have to do, regardless of how big the vision is or lack thereof, is being able to detach from it and not let it drive your present moment. Like create it, you know, but then also detach from it as well and and not worry about it enjoy the present moment so yeah it's a it's more of like uh your art is an expression of you uh and it's much easier to go through the world being like this is my art and it doesn't matter the outcome of it uh i don't have to worry or live and die on the the outcome or or what it's going to be. I'm doing this for me because I love to do it. Mm. It Seems to me to be a a much more freeing and much easier way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the key. Well, speaking of being free, can you, let's get to some nitty gritty thing here. Can you share a, a challenging memory from, you know, this career in the last two years and how did you get back to, motivation how did you get back to you know uh your your creative flow what happened and how did you deal with it i uh i I entered one of a local comedy competition much earlier this year and uh 
it was a uh, multiple night qualifications uh, over a several week period. So once a week you'd go in and try and do the qualifications, see if you made it into the, the finals. And then once you uh, got through the finals, well, the finals were the finals. I don't know why I felt the need to say more there. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, so I went up and the first night I didn't try all that hard. And I was like, okay, well, obviously I didn't make it. So then I had to, to reinvigorate. So I, uh, I, I sidestepped my usual, like, uh, storytelling style of telling jokes. And I went for just like solid one liner jokes. Uh, because of the way the scoring system worked. And I ended up, you know, th- this is an example of me trying to hinge myself on what other people think instead of me just being me. Mm. And uh, I went through and I did that. And that didn't turn out well either for me. I didn't make the qualifications again. Then the third week I of qualifications, which I believe was the last week, maybe it was the fourth week, I don't remember. But the last week of qualifications, I still wasn't in. And so I just went, you know, these are my best things. I'm going to throw all these out and do it. And uh, I still fell up short because a few people came like from out of town and stuff like that Mm. for the journey. And they were of a much higher quality than I was a much higher level. And I just got smashed. Wow. Uh, I ended up, I think they take the top three. I ended up tying in fourth that night and I was like, Oh, come on. And so that was a, that was a big blow. And I knew a few of the guys that like, I, I do shows with regularly and things like that that made it into the finals. And I was, you know, it was a, there, there was a little bit of self doubt there and a little bit of like, Oh man, I, I don't know if I can really do this. But, uh, like I said, the writing process is just a very, uh, soothing, uh, therapeutic process in general. So just writing more and writing more and then realizing that whatever level I'm at, I now have to find a way to, to supersede this level, to surpass this level, to get higher and to do more. Hmm. And so then that comes down to once again, me just alone being me and trying to free myself of the consequences, just knowing that I need to work harder, be better, do what I need to do, find whatever I have in myself that allows me to, to progress and to move through this. And so that was, uh, going back to like my uh my cynicism my outlook of don't care about the future don't worry about what anyone else is doing do it yourself by yourself uh really helped bring me back into the folds and help me continue to uh work more and to accomplish more at this point hmm. nice very cool well what what would you say currently right now as you are going about what you're doing is a recurring obstacle and and how do you accommodate for it? Like something that just, it just keeps coming up either because of the nature of the work you do, or maybe it's an internal obstacle. I'll leave the question up to you and how, it's, how do you deal with it? For me, it's a hundred percent lethargy. It's mm. uh, the, the lack of drive that I have, because as I said before, like I, I have a good job, I can live my life and be fine without any of this. And so it's, uh, the, the biggest obstacle for me is just convincing myself like, no, you want to do this. So why aren't you doing it? There's a, there's a really great book by uh, Steve Preston, who, uh, I think that's his name. It's uh, the guy that wrote the legend of Bagger Vance and mm. uh, a few other things. It's called, uh, the war of art. It's a pretty short, like, I don't know, maybe a hundred page book where he talks about, uh, it's all about procrastination, artistic procrastination. <laughs> 
and uh, the issues that pop up. And he identifies basically your uh, your lack of drive or your lack of um, need to progress or anything like that. He calls that the resistance. Hmm. Uh, your uh, I can't think of the word procrastination. Your level of procrastination is the level of resistance that you have. And he starts to point out uh, ways and methods to try and move around it and to try and uh, progress past it. And so after I read that, that was a really big uh, upper that, that really helped me get a lot more focused and a lot more like, well, if I want to do this, why am I not doing it? And what was uh, something that you picked up from that book that was that's like a good technique? Something that I picked up from that is uh, creating a routine around what you're doing. So, uh, cause he's obviously talking about writing because he's an author, but he's like, so every day I have a routine. I wake up, I write for an hour. Mm -hmm. That's my routine. After I write for that hour, whether it's good or bad or anything that I do, all that matters is that I'm consistently putting work in and that my routine is forcing me more or less to progress in whatever, uh, goals that I'm trying to attain. It's, uh, the concept of just each day you are working. It doesn't matter if you did good work or bad work or, or how much of an impact it'll have at the end of the day. It's, um, there's, yeah, you were consistent. You put the action. It might've been Ray Bradbury that said, uh, write a short story a week because after a year, it's impossible to have written 52 bad things in a row. <laughs> That's good. That's true, though. I mean, it's really yeah. just about consistent action, you know, and that's mm -hmm. one thing I was going to tell you, too, is that, you know, regardless of whether you're, you know, pessimistic or, you know, however you stand on the pole, the fact that you're continually taking action, I think that's really the thing that trumps everything. As long as you're taking action, uh, you know, and you're not stopping, I think that's the key in creating anything you want in your life is just continual action. I mean, it, it seems to be. Yeah. I don't know. That that seems to be the common thread in every success story I've ever seen is the, the constant action, the constant work, and then on top of that, being very lucky. Yeah, there are times when you, you know, when you have to have that opportunity, and I think the more action you take, we we tend to create more of those opportunities. You know, the more, the more inaction you are, you never... Like I was thinking the other day, you know, I have like this big, uh, well, again, by the time this episode airs, I probably will have already done this, but I have this big event that I'm going to be speaking at. And I, I found out about it through one of my students who's a Mayo doctor. And I danced oh, with nice. her at this big event, like earlier this year. Before that, I started volunteering at the Mayo to play the piano because I found out about it through another one of my friend's students. She's just like, oh, you should come over and play. So now I'm at, you know, I'm a volunteer at the Mayo Clinic, so I play the piano and every week. So I have a oh, relationship with them. So it's like how, I look back, I'm like, man, how did I go from like this to this, you know? And all it took was just like several little tiny actions to kind of keep led into one you know, one thing to another. And it's, as long as you take action, you never know who the people you'll meet, the conversations you'll have and how those things will spiral into, you know, that fractal of, of the universe that we're constantly in. It's very interesting. Uh, okay. I, I know that this is weird and off subject. Have you ever heard of the term rhyming events? Rhyming events? Yes. Uh, -uh. no, it's, um, I, I think you actually might be really interested in it. It's kind of the study of how fate works, mm. more or less. 
It's, uh, things like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. There's like, uh, if a man was like, a, a Jewish man was escaping the Nazis and he ended up being holed up in like this attic in Germany for a while and ended up escaping, coming to America, having a family, then like there, his son goes to college in Germany and ends up getting a dorm room and it's the same attic that his father had been hiding in. Oh, okay. So they're like kind That's of a karmically of a tied in a, in a way. Yeah. Where, where it's the concept of like how, for lack of a better term, the universe will spiral in on itself and will create opportunities or things and will create like synchronicities and stuff like that. Hmm. So, I mean, in the, the fact that that is something that occurs and that's something that happens, I can say that I agree with you on you take every opportunity that, that you have. And sooner or later, uh, I mean, one should theoretically pay off. It should rhyme together. It, it should be like a singular moment that happens, but it, it's never the singular moment that causes the, the success or the failure. It's the all of the millions of moments prior to that that led to the singular moment to cause it to happen. Yeah, it's absolutely, man. I, I always tell people it takes many snowflakes to cause an avalanche. You know, we, we notice the avalanche, but we don't see all the snowflakes that, that fell before it all crashed. <laughs> so it's a very eloquent way of putting it, yeah. yeah. It also took some dude just yelling in the <laughs> mountain to cause the avalanche. Right, yeah. So it's like one, but you know, it's we, we tend to isolate this is one thing I always found fa fascinating with time and, and things like that. We, we tend to isolate moments in history and time as significant. That's just our natural biology. And although, you know, that's also true, there's also the idea that everything is constantly leading into everything else. I've been writing a lot about this, like with impermanence. And it's, it's your constant action. It will guarantee you some, at some point, you're going to get, some result or opportunity created for you as long as you're consistent you know yeah. and, and consistently questioning yourself like you said with with i like to say skepticism i think cynicism for me that word is is kind of more to the end of the there spectrum a tendency to uh align like skepticism and cynicism yeah. and like a realism scientific approach yeah, and all it, there is a tendency to ball that all healthy together. questioning let's yes. let's put it that way reasonable healthy questioning I think that that's uh, as long as you're consistently doing that, you're moving forward. So, and creating those opportunities. Well, anything you're excited about that's coming up? Um, well, I mean, by the time this comes out, yeah, like uh, I'll right. already have it in that we're we're starting another podcast on the network, and we're we're adding, you know, more. Uh, we're talking with other people that are going to start other shows and things like that. So we're getting ready to do that. I'm uh, working on. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff. I, don't really... I was—I forgot to ask you, what advice do you have for people getting into comedy? Uh, for people getting into yeah, comedy? Yeah, let's say the, somebody wants to get into it. The, the two things that I can say is, one, go to a local open mic. You don't have to sign up or anything the first night. Just go and watch the local people that are there and uh, see how well they do, how bad they do. Because, I mean, in one night... A couple hours, you see like 10 comics doing, you know, five minutes a piece, something like that, you know, an hour or whatever. You're going to run the gambit. You're going to see somebody that just absolutely kills, that everybody's laughing, everything's doing good. You're also going to see people that go up there and just kick rocks, like nothing <laughs> works. They 
God, that must be terrible. Laughs, they, they get heckled. You can watch them kind of like mentally break for a second. Oh like my you're, gosh. You're going to see all of that. And the thing is, the, the thing that I took from it the first time I went to one was, well, I mean, I can't do worse than that guy. Right. Yeah. It sets the baseline. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can, one day I can be funny like these other dudes, but like, I can't be worse than this guy. So I can give it a shot and going out and then trying it. And just the experience of trying it, you write, you know, like a couple jokes or you have a funny story that you tell like at a party or something that everybody generally laughs at. Uh, you go up and you do that for, you know, four or five minutes and then, you know, you get off the stage. There, There's no harm in ending early. They'll give you lights. They'll tell you, hey, you're going too long. Go ahead and stop now, you mm. know, kind of thing. It, it's generally people are very good that run the the open mics are very good at uh, guiding you and being like, Hey, you know, it's fine. You did good. And then afterwards you hang out after your spot and maybe try and talk to another couple of the comics, something like that. And almost everybody's encouraging. Almost everybody's going to be like, Hey, you did really good. Are you coming back next week? Are you coming back on Thursday? Kind of thing. And, uh, It'll, it'll be a very, it doesn't seem like it would be a confidence booster, but it's a very big confidence booster oh, yeah, to sure. show up and, and public speaking in general is very nerve wracking. But to do it, then if you get no laughs, fine. Other people didn't get laughs. You talk to other people that do it, they'll be like, Oh yeah, that's what happens. Come back next week. Maybe they'll give you an idea of like, Hey, here's a different way you could say that that's more funny or here's another tag that I can add to your joke or something. And you can take that and go up the next time, tell the same story. It's a different crowd and you can add the new things. You can change the word form. You can do something. The, mm. the, the main point of it, it being go and look at it and know that you can do it and then go up and give it a shot. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, I, I suppose. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I love that. Well, I might just give comedy a shot this year <laughs> with my buddy. It. It's, it's we want to start a podcast. We used to have a podcast like last year of us yeah. just, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. And it was a lot of fun. And so we, we want to get back into that kind of dynamic. It was it was really fun. I love making fun of stuff and joking around. <laughs> oh, it's it's incredibly fun. And the, the, the nice thing about comedy is that it's never really broken into genres. You can watch someone that works completely clean next to just the most blue, horrendous person after that. You see people that just tell one-liners. You have storytellers. You have all of that. You can see all of that in just one night in a couple mm. hours. It's it's really nice. Yeah, everybody's really has their own style. It's a very diverse, um, yeah, like you said, storytelling. There's just so many different different styles. So I mean, it's, it's cool. Well, what are you? What's the biggest thing you're grateful for? We're coming up on the end of the interview here. What's the uh, biggest, biggest thing? You're, thing that I'm grateful for. I know a little surprise question there. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, I mean, people. you didn't run any of these by me. They're all surprise questions. That's true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> they are surprise. Uh, biggest thing that I'm thankful for right now, I I suppose the amount of time that I have and the work that I'm doing and the people that I get a chance to to work with. And I don't thank them enough. And I know that Brandon can hear this because he's got his headphones on. And so, you know, I mean, I still hate him, but like, <laughs> I'm really glad that, that we get a chance to work together every day and things like that. It's really nice. And, you know, like 
my girlfriend is like the artist for our website and stuff along with a few of our other friends and things like that. It's, that's cool. It's really nice. To, I'm very thankful for the community that I have and the ability that I have to bring all of this together and to do the things that I do. That's awesome, man. Well, where can they find out more about you? Where, what's your website or you want them to tune uh, into your podcast? Buzzbroadcasting.com has uh, my podcasts on it. Um, at some points I'm going to get the videos of me doing my stand up on there. Oh, cool. And it's, uh, that's really where everything is. But Buzz Broadcasting also on Twitter. There's Facebook groups. There's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'll put it up on the show notes too. So that way people can check it out and link to it. So. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. That concludes our interview on creating a life you love with comedian, podcaster, and co-founder of Buzzed Broadcasting, Stephen Dombrowski. Tune in every Friday where I host conversations with some amazing people about their journey towards living a life full out. I hope that this episode has contributed to your own journey. If you know anybody who would benefit from today's show, share it with them. You never know what difference it will make on their path toward living their life purpose. I will definitely try comedy as a result of this episode. So thank you so much for your support, everybody listening, and as well to you, my friend Steve. It was a pleasure to interview you. Oh, well, thank you for interviewing me, and I'm really glad to be on here. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Dance of Life podcast with your host, Tudor Alexander. Join me weekly as I discuss my most meaningful life lessons and strategies on entrepreneurship, transformation, gratitude, and how to dance your way through life. For the latest content and bonus material, make sure you get subscribed using your favorite listening platform. And if you like today's episode or want to contribute to a future episode, share your ideas and keep the conversation going at danceoflife.com. And remember, life is short so you might as well learn to dance your way through it. Until next time, I'm Tudor Alexander, and this is The Dance of Life.